Well, thank you again for letting me be with you, uh, not only this morning, but also this evening. Um, I think I may have mentioned it a little bit to you this morning, but both Catherine and I are from uh, the state of Indiana. My uh, wife was born and raised in Indiana and uh, in Indianapolis and attended uh, North Central High School. And I was born and raised in a small town about an hour north of here uh, called Frankfort, Indiana. So it's always a delight for us to be back uh, with uh, in the state of Indiana. Our, our roots are here and uh, we do indeed love uh, the people and are glad to be with you folks again. As I mentioned this morning, in many respects, uh, this church and you people have been a kind of a model and an encouragement to the rest of us as we've seen the ministry that God has entrusted to your care uh, over the, really, the decades now. And so it is a delight for us to be with you um, this weekend and especially as we gather together for worship. So as Donald mentioned, we're going to be looking a little bit again at the letter of 3 John. Uh, We looked this morning at really the key verse in many respects to uh, this this delightful little letter. And that is that we're to not imitate, verse 11, that we're not to imitate uh, the things that are evil, but we're to imitate the things that are good. And in the letter, John gives us really three pictures of the people that we should imitate, Gaius himself, uh, then Demetrius, and then also these traveling evangelists that we looked at uh, this morning. So uh, this evening we're going to just look at the first uh, few parts of this uh, letter, and there's a couple of verses in here that have always intrigued me, and I'll mention those after I read this, and then how those things apply to who we are and how we're to live our lives today. So, uh, if you open your Bibles, I believe it's on page uh, 10,000, or excuse me, uh, 1,026. It's hard to actually get the page numbers there because they don't have it because a new book starts there. But I believe it's uh, 1,026. Uh, Third John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear of my children, to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I want to end our reading there because uh, this evening we're really just going to be looking at one aspect of uh, the life of Gaius. This morning we looked at the entire letter. Uh, I've always been intrigued by this idea that John prays for Gaius there in verse 2. And he prays that he could be in good health. In the same way that his soul is prospering. In other words, things are going well in his soul. And that's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Interesting challenge for us. So if I were to ask you this morning, or excuse me, this evening now, how is it with your soul? What kind of a response would you give? 
There's another verse that I want us to think about, and that's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. But if I were to ask you, if we had a marker board up here, and you know, I could write down your responses, why did Paul labor with people? Why did he minister to them? Now, we could probably answer that in many ways. Uh, we could say Paul would have labored to produce obedience, to produce holiness, to produce fruitful lives, to promote, to uh, establish disciples in the faith, to strengthen the church. We probably many reasons that we could give. They're all good reasons as to why Paul labored as diligently and as with as much effort as he did. Do any of you know why Paul said he labored in Second Corinthians chapter one? Paul says that he labored with the people, that he was a worker together with them. Anybody know how it goes? For their joy. Paul labored for people's joy. Again, I'm always intrigued with this idea that Gaius' soul was prospering, and, and John knew that his soul prospered because he was walking in the truth. And so this evening I want to talk about joy and how we can labor with one another for your joy. So how many of you entered the building today, this evening, thinking, I wonder how I can increase people's joy tonight? That's what Paul was wanting to do. He labored with the Corinthian people. Again, the Corinthian church was the most troubled church in the New Testament, And Paul was laboring with them for their joy. There's a Christian counseling organization in Southern California that has established joy as their foundational principle. They've had people come in with, uh, from broken homes, many people come in with uh, various addictions, and they concentrate on joy. Even before they get to the problem, whether it's alcohol addiction or drug addiction or abuse or whatever, even before they get to the problem, they concentrate on joy. And what they found as they've been concentrating on this is that there was always a certain percentage of the people that they were trying to help that ended up being institutionalized in some sort of psychiatric hospital or psychiatric ward as they changed their philosophy of ministry and began focusing on joy, they saw the number of their patients who were, ended up being hospitalized decrease dramatically. <clears throat> so the, this evening, I want to talk to you a little bit about joy. Certainly, if your soul is prospering, as the John says here of Gaius, it has to be that joy is at least part of that prosperity that's going on in your life, Right? So this, this evening, I want to talk to you about joy. Again, the new science of brain, uh, brain science, you know, as they've been able to attach electrodes and stuff, they have found that young children under the age of three live in joy. Something happens as they get older, around age four, there's a change that happens in their brain. But up until age three, they live in joy. So now, if you haven't done it recently, let me encourage you to go to a household 
that has young children, three or under, and as long as everything's okay, you know, the child's got enough rest and they, you know, um, they're not in any way sick, they don't have a messy diaper, anything like that, if they trust you, what will they do? Invariably, again, if everything is okay and the child's not sick and they trust you, they will bring you what? Their favorite toy or their favorite doll. Now, why would they do that? Well, I don't have any idea. I don't understand what goes on in the mind of a two-year-old, and neither do you probably. But my guess is that they do that because they have joy in that doll or that toy. And they, they think that you're going to find joy in that doll or that toy as well. I'd like to ask what has happened to Christian joy over the years. I've known many Christians that are known to be sullen and joyless. I think I've probably known more Christians that seem to be sullen and joyless, weighed down with the cares of the world, than I've probably met Christians who are joyful. Of course, all of you people are the exception to that. Come, of course, but so what happened to our joy? Well, think of the parable of the sower. There's the three types of soil, and notice the enemies that come in to try to prevent us from living fruitful lives. Again, you know the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, etc. So what are those three things that come in to, for our purposes this evening, Rob us of our joy. Well, first of all, is Satan. Uh, if you look at the Gospel of Luke, uh, it makes it clear that Satan steals the joy, the seed that's been planted in our hearts, so that the person is not saved. The other three soils are clearly people that are born again, and the purpose of it is that we will live fruitful lives, at least part of which is that we would live lives of joy, because again, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy. And what is it that comes in? Well, all the, the Gospels that talk about this say that it's affliction and persecution. The seed does not take root because of affliction and persecution. The other one is that it's uh, the worries of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things. These things come in and keep us from living a fruitful life. Again, for our purposes tonight, a life of joy. So, this evening I just want to say to you that the craving for joy that you possess comes through, is realized through the presence and the provisions of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We all crave for joy. Again, brain science tells us that every... Six times every second, our unconscious brain is searching for joy. And think of how often joy is mentioned in the scriptures. God wants you to live in joy. Now, I know that in a group this size, that there's probably <clears throat> several of you are struggling right now. You have problems in your life, difficulties, persecutions. But even in the two main passages in the Bible that talk about persecution, trials, difficulties. Both in Romans 5 and in James 1, persecutions, trials, difficulties are tied in with what? Joy. 
So this evening I want to give you a few things that God has done to give us joy. But before I do that, I want to introduce you to the newest science. Now, it's the newest science because I just invented it a few weeks ago. It's, uh, it's called mathiology. Now, now, I'm sure you'll probably find this, you know, on blog sites and documentaries. Books will be written about this in a few years. But you're, you're one of the first to hear about it. Mathiology. It's a combination of mathematics and theology. That's why it's mathiology. So here's how it works. Math has a principle, and if you don't remember your third grade math, you just have to take this by faith. Or maybe there's a mathematician here that can verify this. But there's a, a rule in mathematics that says that if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Again, you may have to take that by faith if that's something you've forgotten. So math theology is taking that rule, A equals B, B equals C, and therefore A equals C. So we could have applied it to this morning's service, but I didn't. So think about the topic of love. Again, A equals B, B equals C, then A equals C. So God is love. God dwells in you. Therefore, you are a loving person, right? Uh, we could have applied it to truth this morning. We talked about truth a little bit. Uh, truth is that those things that are in accordance with the reign and reality of Jesus Christ. Jesus is truth, according to Ephesians chapter 4. Jesus lives in you. Therefore, you can cling to the truth because the truth is in you. There used to be a TV show called The X-Files. I never saw it, but my understanding is their theme phrase was, was uh, the truth is out there, but also our lives. Well, for us, the truth is in us. Let me apply math theology to joy. God possesses joy. Sherwood Wirt, uh, one time many years ago, wrote a little essay on he looked at every systematic theology book that he could find and never had joy listed as a character quality of God. But yet, God possesses joy. So God possesses joy. God lives in me. Therefore, I possess joy, right? That's math theology. Let me give you math. That's math theology on joy 101. Let me give you math theology on joy 201, or maybe 501. Here it is. Paul says that he's working with the Corinthian people for joy. Again, 1 Corinthians 124. Paul tells us that he also is imitating God. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be imitators of me as I also imitate God. So God is working for, excuse me, Paul is working for people's joy. Paul is Following Jesus, therefore, dare we say, A equals B, B equals C, therefore, A equals C, can we say that Jesus is working for your joy? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? Paul was laboring for their joy. Paul was simply following Jesus. He was imitating Jesus. Therefore, can we not say that God is working for your joy.
So I want to give you tonight a few ways that we can find joy in this fallen, difficult, troubled world. Let me give you a definition of joy. Joy is the feeling of good pleasure and happiness that is derived from who Jesus is and what he does for you and what he means to you. You see, joy is in Jesus. I'm just going to give you several uh, pictures of how we can get joy this evening. The first one I want to tell you is that uh, joy comes from God, right? You know that. You all know Psalm 16. In your presence, in your right hand there, uh, in your presence there's fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. In God's presence there's fullness of joy. Now we've changed the, the word there. The, the word presence really means joy, it really means face. In God's face, in his presence, there's joy. So do you realize that God's face is shining upon you? That's what the ironic blessing was all about, right? Do you realize that God's face is shining on you? His presence is there? Three times in uh, the, what we call the Olivet Discourse, Matthew, excuse me, John 14, 15, 16, and then the prayer in 17, Jesus talks about joy. Let me give you the verses. In John 15, 11, Jesus says this, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. You've probably all memorized John 16, 24. Until now you've asked for nothing in my name, asking you will receive that your joy may be made full. And then Jesus himself prays in John 17, 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world so that they, might ha- they may have my joy made full in themselves. What is Jesus telling us in all of these things? Well, he's telling us a couple of things. He's telling us that he possesses joy. He tells us that he wants us to have his joy and he wants us to have our joy be made full. In Isaiah 12, verse 3, it says that we can joyously draw water from the wells of salvation. Is that we just go to the wells of salvation and we draw joy? It's not that we have to labor or manufacture joy. It comes from going to the well, the wells of salvation, and realize that we have joy. So Jesus has joy He wants to share his joy with you. And in doing that, he wants your joy to be made full. So joy comes from the presence of God. And again, think about it. Jesus is laboring for your joy. Let me very quickly give you a couple others this evening that uh, where we can find joy. Joy comes from the truth. That's really what's happening here in the letter of 3 John. I wanted to start with God as the foundation, though. But the idea is that John is praying that Gaius would be in good health just as he knows his soul was doing well. And then he gives a reason why he's confident of that in verse 3, because he knew that John was walking in the truth, that Gaius was walking in the truth. So joy comes from the truth. Again, my theology. Jesus is the truth. Jesus dwells in us. Therefore, we have the truth in us. I don't know how many of you are college students here, but uh, Charles Colson wrote an article about uh, Muslim students on campuses in America 
distributing gospel, sorry, not gospel tracts, distributing tracts, trying to proclaim that Christians worship three gods. Uh, Apparently there was a heresy during Muhammad's day that Muhammad believed was the truth about Christianity. The idea was that God had a wife, Mary, of course, in the Bible, and they had a child named Jesus. And this heresy or things like that was what Muhammad believed. And he he thought that was the Trinity, that the Trinity was God the Father, Jesus, and Mary. That was a heresy that was going on around his time. And they're distributing these tracts, trying to shake the foundation of the truth of Christianity. And unfortunately, they're having success. But the doctrine of the Trinity, that God dwells in three persons, that's truth. And these three persons of the Godhead have lived eternally in a bond of love and joy and unity. And the reality of Christianity is that you are brought into that life. Peter tells us that we become partakers, get this, that we can become partakers of the divine nature. So this eternal union of love and joy and harmony of the, of the three persons of the Trinity, we're brought into that. Amazing, isn't it? You see, joy comes from truth. Let me just give you a few more here this evening. Joy comes from relationships. Uh, he says, I have no greater joy than this to hear my children walking in the truth. It's joy as we see the people that God has allowed us to influence, them walking in the truth. I was listening to a, a book uh, recently, and, and the author was, uh, often said that he always wanted to add value to every relationship he had. And I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting thing, you know, add value to somebody. Then as he repeated the phrase uh, a few more times, I thought, well, you know, that's kind of nebulous. How do I add value to your life? I don't really know. And then as he mentioned it again, I thought, you know, maybe that's not even necessarily biblical. I don't know how I can add value to your life, but I can add joy to your life, right? That's what Paul wanted to do. He wanted to add joy. So again, how many of you came in here this evening saying, God, my heart's desire is to increase the joy of the people I talk to tonight? You see, it comes through relationships. Paul was excited about the joy. Uh, you all know, I trust, that uh, the Bible teaches us that joy comes from the word. Jeremiah fifteen sixteen. your words were found and I ate them and they came for me the joy and the delight of my heart. You know, there is joy in the Bible. Uh, Let me just give you a a few verses from uh, Psalm 119. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. I shall delight in your commandments, which I love. I shall delight in your law. Look for joy in the word. Tomorrow or maybe tonight before you go to bed, you're going to spend some time reading the word. Look for joy. I tell the people in Pittsburgh, when you read the Bible, look for hope. Because Romans 15, 4 says, but the things were written beforehand were written for our encouragement that through the perseverance of the scripture, we might find hope. So look for hope as you read the Bible. But also begin looking for joy. Again, if our unconscious brain, according to brain science, is looking for joy six times every second, why don't we start looking for joy? as we read God's word and 
begin to allow our conscious mind to work with our unconscious mind and find joy in the scriptures. Joy in the scriptures are there. The Bible also tells us that, uh, that there's joy in prayer. Again, we just looked at John 16, 24. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name, asking you to receive that your joy may be made full. Do you find joy in prayer? My guess is, if you're like most Americans, you've probably given up on prayer. You think it really doesn't make any difference. Well, I want to share with you something that I trust will be of help and will bring joy to you. I think that in many respects in America, we have brought prayer down to simply getting things from God. There's actually a book by that title. And I think we've forgotten that prayer is a means of enhancing our relationship with God. And because prayer has come for most of us just something that we can get things from God, and then when we don't necessarily get those things from God, we give up on prayer. I want to encourage you to think about prayer as a means of enhancing your relationship with God. So prayer come, uh, joy comes from prayer. And let me uh, just give you one more tonight, and then we'll be done. And that is that prayer comes, excuse me, joy comes from heaven. Joy comes from heaven. If you think about the, the pictures that we have about heaven in the Bible that tells us that there's no more sorrow, no more mourning, no more tears, joy comes from heaven. And I think we need to think more about heaven than we currently do. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 3 that, see how great a love the Father has bestowed upon you, upon us, that we should be called the children of God. Yet what we will be, we as of yet do not know. But we know that if our hearts are focused on him, we will become like him. And the idea is that we're to focus our lives on heaven, focus our lives on what we're going to become because of Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 says that we're to fix our heart upon the things above and not on the things of this earth. So, my friends, I want to encourage you to think of heaven. When I think of heaven, I think of three words. I think of light, life, and love. We don't know how it's going to work out completely, but I'm convinced that when heaven becomes a reality for us, your life and my life will be engulfed in such a love that's inexpressible. And we can't understand it. We can't even begin to describe it. Things which I have seen in the ear is not heard. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Things that which are not, in it, not even entered into the hearts of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him. I believe we will be engulfed in love that can't even be touched on this earth. I believe that we will be engulfed in light that is so magnificent, so beautiful, that if we still had our earthly bodies, we'd probably go blind because of the magnificence of the brightness that we will see. 
but we will see creation in all of its beauty in a light that we cannot even imagine on this earth. And I believe that we will experience life like nothing that we've experienced on this earth. All the joy that you've had on this earth, all the joy that you've experienced in knowing Jesus is going to pale into comparison to the life that we'll have in heaven. You see, what we're doing now, thankfully experiencing the joy of Jesus, but what we're doing now is merely a shadow of what we'll experience when heaven comes our way. So, my friends, Matthewology 201 on joy. Paul was laboring with people for their joy. Paul was merely following Jesus. And therefore, can we say that Jesus is working for your joy? He's given us many things in this earth so that we can experience joy. I want to encourage you to take the little list of the things that I gave you and try to maybe work on one or two of them in a special way this week. Because again, Jesus has joy. He wants you to experience his joy. And he wants your joy to be made full. So the joy that we all crave in life is realized through the presence and the resources of the triune God. My friends in Christ, I commend joy to you this evening. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for the few minutes that we could have together tonight, and thank you for the, the blessings of Christian fellowship. And we know that joy comes from relationships, so we thank you for this opportunity to be together And we also thank you that ultimately joy comes from you. And so God, uh, help us to live more in your presence, to understand your working in our lives, and to truly give you thanks and worship. So thank you, Lord. We thank you this evening again for Jesus. And we know that Jesus is working for our joy. Thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.